delightful to give thanks to him for he is good, he is so good, it's wonderful to praise him and now to listen to what he has to say, what more could we do but to sit at his feet and listen to what he says. This is what Mark 4 has to say. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop some multiplying 30, some 60, some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. May God add his blessing to his word. I love harvest, don't you? I love to see churches decorated for harvest. It's a good thing to bring things for harvest. Though I remember hearing of a vicar who came on harvest and he had a plastic bag with things and when everyone else had brought their shiny apples and their perfect potatoes and their gorgeous cauliflowers and all the other wonderful things, he opened his bag and said, when I go into my garden, because I'm not much of a gardener, and I want to bring something here. What I bring is, and he brought out this worm-eaten apple, uh, rather like my garden, and a carrot that looks more like an octopus than a carrot, 
and other deformed vegetables. Do you have that problem? Because I certainly do. And he said, when we come to harvest, we must remember God's not just looking for the shiny apples of our lives, but the way we come just as we are, often looking anything but the intended vegetable, if you can put it that way. Um, anyway, it's good to see all this stuff, which will feed people, won't it? Harvest is for feeding. It's lovely to hear a farmer say, what a relief to get the harvest in. We should be breathing a sigh of relief too, because if it weren't for farmers getting it in, then we would have nothing to eat. And I understand, I think, that although about 97% of this country is um, countryside, not towns, only a very small fraction of the 66 million people live in the countryside, most live in the towns. And I went to school in the 50s and 60s with schoolboys who thought that milk did come in bottles originally. They had never seen a cow. I lived on the edge of London. So you can understand that. So it's lovely in this area to have this connection, isn't it, with harvest and so forth. But here Jesus is talking about something, using an agricultural picture, but something even more important. The Bible speaks about a famine. A famine of hearing the word of God, which is more serious by far than even the famines that people suffer all over the world. Just been reading two little stories on the wall there. Do read them if you want to, about water aid, about what it costs some people just to get water every day. A vital resource that we just go and worry if it's not hot enough instantly or, or it doesn't flow quite cleanly. They have to walk miles, an hour in each direction, just for the water that will produce it. Uses his agricultural picture about the effect of God's word. Because although God wants us to live each year, we have this wonderful harvest verse way back in the depths of Genesis saying, God will promise seed time and harvest, it's going to keep going, don't fret, it'll be okay. God will watch for us. Yet we live in a deformed and broken world, so it doesn't work all the time. Though I'm told by those who seem to know what's happening, there is enough food in the world for everybody in the world, if only we shared it. Now there's a revelation, isn't it? But there's something even more important, and Jesus is more concerned, not only for our physical health, but for our spiritual health. And he speaks over here about the sowing of the word of God, which is the seed here. He loves these pictures because he's trying to teach the folk the difference between what their expectation of the kingdom of God was and what it really does look like in the here and now. It sounds as if, in verse 12, that he's trying to tell them complicated things so that they won't understand. He drags a verse out from Isaiah that seems to say, I hope you won't understand this because if you did, you'd turn and be forgiven and I don't want that. That's what it sounds like. But if he wanted that, then all he had to do was say nothing. If God said nothing, we wouldn't know anything. So we'd all go to a lost eternity. Now Jesus is not saying nothing here. He's not wanting to confuse her. He's actually not giving us um, mere suggestions here. It's not, parables are not meant to inform you. Here are six things you have to do in order to have eternal life. They don't work like that. Parables work like, now you've heard this, what does the world look like you now, to you now? How does this make you see the world? It's a kind of riddle that you can only understand if you think things through from God's perspective. 
If you don't, of course, you never get it. And many people in Jesus' day don't get it, and they still don't get it today. But when you look at it, things from God's perspective, you get it. This is what a parable is all about. So he explains the parable. And he says about the word of God, that God is speaking words of life and truth, but there's nothing compulsive about it. He doesn't make anyone believe. When Jesus was speaking here, people could listen to it, enjoy it, and walk away and ignore it. Now you would think that God being God, come in the flesh in Jesus Christ, when he speaks a word, there is a the reaction that has to happen. We can't help ourselves. We have to respond positively. Jesus is saying that's not the case. It's entirely within our right to respond as we wish. And he gives four responses. He could have given two, three, seven, twenty-one. It doesn't matter. He gives us four. Three of which don't work. One does. The combinations could be anything. But he just gives an illustration here. He's using an agricultural picture that people would understand as to how we respond. Now, it applies most of all to when people first hear the word of God. But it applies also to every time we hear the word of God. Every time we hear the word of God. We're doing something with it. And of course what we want is for the fruit to grow. What we want is a harvest. What we want is the good that God wants to put into our lives. We've just been singing of God's goodness and greatness and wisdom and love. Well, wouldn't that be strange if then we didn't listen to what he had to say? And yet that's actually what happens in our lives. We find all subtle ways of keeping God's word at bay because the kingdom of God is not like you thought it would be. Not like I thought it would be. It's different. And to embrace it, we have to see things from God's way. Here's the first way then. And it's exhibited, if you like, if you want to take a king, for example, Pharaoh. You remember him from Exodus? Pharaoh? Moses and Aaron go to him and say, God's message is, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response is, who is God? That I should listen to him. He has no control over me and I will not do what he says. And he absolutely rejects it. He does so very arrogantly and rudely. But the end result is he simply says no to the word of God. Every human being has that right, opportunity, freedom to say no to whatever God says. It's like seed bouncing on the path, which cannot penetrate because it's hard-packed path. And before it has any chance to do anything, the birds have come and eaten it up. No farmer does that deliberately. You don't feed the birds like that. You're trying to make a harvest. But he just gives an illustration here. And every time I listen to the word of God, and either by saying, surely I understand what that means and I'm not going to do it, or whether I simply turn aside and don't do it, the end result is the same. The word of God comes and has no effect upon my life. It is scaringly easy to be like that, isn't it? I remember preaching in a church where I was preaching on a regular basis. I've been preaching there for every Sunday for about seven years. And afterwards, uh, this particular message, the man came up to me and took me to task very angrily. Complained that I was always talking about tithing and giving and always talking about money and forever going on about it. And he was fed up with me doing it. 
I went back on my records because I keep a record of everything I preach, wherever I preach it. I had never preached on tithing or giving, to my shame, in seven years in that church. It was the first time. I think God's word was hitting him just like that, don't you? And he was saying, not no to God, but he was saying no to me. But he was saying no to God. We can do that, my friends. It's scarily easy. I wonder what God has been talking to you about over recent weeks. That you may be finding a struggle to. Maybe you're not wanting to say no, but it, you just cannot see how this can apply in your particular circumstance. And everything within you is just wanting to leave it on one side. That pile of papers, you know, you know what you do. You put it on one side and hope it'll go away. And then eventually, six months later, you go there and think it's too old now. And you chuck it away, don't you? hoping that will have the same effect. Let me tell you, God will keep coming at you with that same word, but won't always do it. There'll come a time when he'll give up on that. And it will be to your loss, not his. So let me encourage you, if you're wrestling with something, maybe you need to talk to someone about it. Make sure you're understanding it right. And say, I don't know what to do with this. I'm hearing God on this. I don't know what to do with it. And then talk to someone you, respond, you respect. Someone you honour. Someone whose wisdom you, you benefited from. Just talk to them and say, am I getting this right? How am I going to do something? And they may have wise words to say how you can start that process. Because the last thing you want to do is to say no to God. You can say, yes, Lord, and you can say no. But you cannot say, no, Lord, it is a contradiction in terms. That's the first one. The second one, well, the seed goes in a little crack in the soil and instantly all the right things happen and folk who know about horticulture could explain what they are. But anyway, the seed grows into a plant and it produces a nice big plant. But the soil is very shallow. So inevitably the sun comes and shines down and because there is no root drawing up moisture, then the plant just folds over and dies. The point about this parable, it's got a time span. There's a time span here. It did not happen in a moment, did it? That happened over a period of time. Happened over a week, happened over a week or a month. Or maybe two months. Or maybe three months. But before harvest came, which is usually about six or eight or nine months away, the plant has died. That's where we embrace the word of God and say, yes, yes, this is really good. I'm going to do this. And we do do that. We take hold of it and we start putting it into practice. But before long, external pressures like persecution or trouble come. And then it's too costly. It's the sort of thing our children face every day at school, isn't it? Our Christian children. Holding on to the thing they learnt at their mother or father's knee at church on Sunday, on a Monday. They find all sorts of pressures, persecutions even, criticism, ridicule. And it's easier just to retreat into themselves and not say anything and hope it all goes away. It's tough to be in school, isn't it? Very easy. But the end result, of course, will be no fruit. Somehow or other we have to give our children the tools where they can stand up and hold on to even when things are tough. A German pastor lived to the age of 39. He died in 1945. He stood up against the Nazis 
They executed him for it. When the persecution came, he held on to what he knew was true. I hope none of you or I have to go through such a gruelling fire. But maybe our tests are less than that. That's the second way. Where it's just difficult keeping going. My friends, what we're looking for is a harvest. The farmer does not expect a harvest a month after he planted the seed. Not two months after he planted the seed. Not three months after. He's looking for a harvest at the end of the year. The agricultural year. That's what he's looking for. Anything before then is just a pretense. It may be filled just the field full of green shoots, but it's not a harvest. God is looking for a harvest that will last in our lives. That's the second one. The third one is probably very relevant to a Western culture, isn't it? Where the seed grows, but alongside the seed grow the weeds. And as always, the weeds grow faster and thicker and deeper and richer than the plant does, don't they? And before you know it, you've got this full flower bed or full vegetable bed of lots of things growing, but you can't see what you planted for all the weeds that choke the life out of the seed that you planted. And Jesus says that's the kind of person who embraces the word of God really does want to do the word of God, wants to respond to God. Yes, they say to God, yes, I want to do that. But over time, all the other distractions, the worries of this life, and aren't there some? The deceitfulness of wealth, it'll tell you, it'll sort your problems out, but it won't. And the desire for other things, other things I haven't got, all become large, overwhelming weeds that choke the life out of the plant that was sown. The end result being... No fruit, no harvest. That, I think, is one we suffer from in a sophisticated, wealthy country like ours. There is so much else, isn't there? It's very easy. This is not to shun those things. Please don't think that. It's to embrace them and put them in their place. But give God the first place of all things. If God is blessing you, receive it with joy. Enjoy it and share it with others. The Quakers of the past, people like Cabri and Roundtree and all those sort of people, were not afraid of making money. Many of them became incredibly rich people, but they never held on to it. Even the Joseph Roundtree Foundation exists today as an organisation that defends the poor and the marginalised and the people with no voice. These were people who shared what they had. So if God is blessing you, and I hope he is, then enjoy it. Don't think of it as weeds, think of it as God's blessing. But don't let it take first place. Otherwise it will choke out the word of God in your life, producing fruit in your life. So we can enjoy it and do God's blessing. But the fourth one, which is where Jesus is going. Every farmer wants this. You want to put seed in the ground that produces itself 30 times. Well, that would be a good harvest. 60 times would be really good. And 100 times a farmer will be going up and down his street wanting to have all his neighbours come in and say, share this harvest I've got. It's incredible. One plant producing the equivalent of 100 plants. This is extraordinary. Producing fruit. But what is it in our lives? It's the life of God, isn't it? 
Jesus says, there's only one way you can tell someone is a follower of mine, by their fruit. Isn't that right? By their fruit you will know them. Sheep, wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, you might not be able to tell from a distance, but you can tell them by their fruit, can't you? Apple trees, pear trees, you can tell them by their fruit, can't you? What sort of tree they are. It's fruit that works out. So what is the fruit that the word of God is producing in your life and my life? Christ-likeness. Spirit-filled godliness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Isn't that what it's producing? Isn't that what you want? Doesn't this world need it? Not just for a lovely harvest where we celebrate the good things God, but God is looking for that now where his word has an effect in people's lives. And that effect brings joy to others. The only Bible many people read is you. Isn't that true? Many of our neighbours and friends who have no interest in God don't read a Bible. They may have one in their house, who knows, but they don't read it. Why would they? The Bible they read is you, because they know you, they know you're a Christian, so how you or I live is the way they understand God. And God isn't here just saying, what can I do to make life really tricky for people and awkward for people and give them hoops to go through? He's never going like that. God wants us to flourish and grow. He wants us to know what it really is to be human beings living in the fullness of his love, to know life in all its fullness, says Jesus in John chapter 10. That's what he wants for you and for me. And it's not to be measured by all the things that would otherwise crowd out the word of God. It's by life that comes from within, this gift, this soft heart that is responsive to God, that stands up and speaks the truth with love, that loves others for God's sake, that praises God not only on a Sunday morning like this when it's such a joy to do it, but tomorrow morning and every morning this week, just the way we are, bringing fruit. Our communities need us, my friends, because they need the word of God, don't they? They need to hear the word of God. They need to see it being put into practice. And God gives to those who receive his word everything necessary for doing his will. He gives us his spirit. He gives us a soft heart and the spirit gives us the inclination to live out God's life in the fullness of the spirit. So that's the harvest God is looking for, Jesus says. That's what it's all about. And his disciples are getting the picture. He's not trying to confuse them. He's saying, when you listen to God and you receive his word, he knows how the world works. After all, he made it. He knows what worked best in your life. So before you take him to task about asking you to do something you don't reckon is the best thing, he does know what's best. And sometimes we just have to go his way. So can I encourage you, whatever God may be speaking to you about at this moment in time, whether in your daily readings or that phrase that keeps coming back to you or comments that other people have made or you're wrestling over an issue, you're not quite sure how to deal with it, but you're getting hints from different places and it's going to be tough and difficult to do that. We had a decision to make once upon a time where if we made this decision it would mean we'd lose our home and lose our job and have to move and it was a tough decision to make. Are you making that sort of decision? I knew what God wanted us to do and it was still hard to do it. 
Well, we managed to do it by his grace with the encouragement and support of others who were tremendously supportive to us at that moment. And in the end, it was the right thing to do, I feel. Don't chart on your own. Speak with others. Pray with others. Seek others' wisdom about these things. But above all, keep saying yes to God. Yes, Lord, I know what you're saying. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm saying yes to you, Lord. I don't know what to do next. I don't know how it's going to work out. If I say yes to you, Lord, then this is going to be a problem, and that's going to be a problem, and that's going to be a problem. But Lord, you must have those in mind. Will you show me how to do it? Will you show me what the next step is for me to take? So I can say yes. Because I want to say yes, Lord. I really do want to say yes. And keep saying yes. And God will show you who to talk to. God will give her a prayer partner, someone whose wisdom you understand to enable you to be fruitful and to flourish and become all that you should be by his grace. Let me pray. Father, we can imagine a farmer going to his fields just before the harvest is due and looking out over fields rich with prosperity and enjoying, being thrilled with the prospect of bringing it all in not only for himself but his neighbours and friends and to sell off to others to provide for them and to provide for him himself in the future. Father, you're looking for a harvest in us. Nothing gives you much more joy than seeing the likeness of your Son in the people who follow him. May that be true for us, Lord. And I want to pray for any who this morning may be wrestling over an issue that they, with all their heart, want to follow you on but are finding it really tricky, Lord. Will you show them the way through? And for all of us, Lord, will you continue to bless us as you have blessed us in this past year with all that we have needed. Will you continue to give us all that we need day by day so we may live each day to the praise of your glorious name. Amen.